Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 108, Something Needs to Change. Hey guys, welcome. I am your host, Lori Krieg, and we are coming at you from Grand Rapids, Michigan. And sadly, I am not alongside my favorite licensed therapist and Argyle <laughs> expert, who is also my husband, Matt Krieg. He's with the kids. God bless him. But we do have our producer and the most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. Hi, guys. Hey, Steve. So glad you are here. But today we are excited to welcome someone whose name I've heard several times over the last years, but I feel like I'm just getting to know and really love and appreciate his work. And his name is David Platt. David, welcome. It's great to be here. So glad that you are. For those of you who don't know David, he's the author of three New York Times bestsellers, including Radical, and he is lead pastor at McLean Bible Church in Metro Washington, D.C., the former president of the IMB, which is the International Mission Board, and founder of Radical Incorporated, which y'all can find that at Radical.net. I'll make sure to link all these things in the podcast episode page. But that is a global center for the unreached that serves churches in accomplishing the mission of Christ. Platt received his Master of Divinity, his MDiv, uh, his Master of Theology, and the Doctor of Philosophy from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and he lives in Virginia with his wife and their children. Now, David, we're super excited to hear more just about this radical, something-needs-to-change life that you live, but I just wanted to give you a shout-out because I watched uh, your a sermon you gave recently on um, really how to engage God's design for marriage in a, in a dark world getting darker, but you were brave and you were tenderhearted. And the best part, in my opinion, and there are many great parts, was your apology in the beginning for not speaking up earlier, because I know this is a tough conversation for pastors to engage, but you were so stinking humble. So thank you. And can I just ask, how difficult was that? Huh. You know, I think uh, I... Well, there's a variety of thoughts going through my mind. One, it's, it's, I don't have an option as a pastor. I mean, that's what I was saying at the beginning. Like we, I want to equip, uh, the people that God's entrusted me to shepherd well with how God's love and grace and truth come to bear on the most pressing issues in the culture around us. Martin, there's a great quote from Martin Luther just saying, if I like preach the whole counsel of God, but ignore the areas at, at which the, the devil is at that moment attacking in the culture around me, then I am not faithfully confessing Christ, uh, no matter how much other stuff I may say. And so, yeah, there were there were a variety of different things. Our, our uh, church in Metro DC is, uh, you know, we're right in the middle of a lot of battles. And I, I would say we're not totally unique. There is some uniqueness being here in the nation's capital, but, uh, um, to a lot of other pastors and churches. Um, but there were, there's just a variety of things going on. And I just see the, uh, confusion over issues of sexuality, how that relates to the way people view themselves, their own identity, the way that affects the way uh, people think about marriage, uh, parenting, even shepherding kids is there. Uh, hearing things in school or being taught even things in school. That's one of the things in, uh, that I was addressing, particularly uh, right around our community, uh, just a, a variety of things that are being taught that go totally against God's word. And so to just unpack how the gospel affects the way we understand everything when it comes to sexuality, from our identity, who we are, to the way we relate to each other, to how we uh, wrestle with the uh, different 
temptations that that oftentimes are different for different ones of us uh, and how we do all of that with trust in God and his word more than the uh, changing cultural tides and trends around us in the world. So, uh, but it's, I, I feel like whenever I walk through something like that with the people I'm pastoring, it's like just pouring water into people's uh, lives in the middle of the desert because uh, we, because the gospel is so much better. God's word is so much better than anything the world is going to offer us. Amen. And so to see that and help shepherd people through that, uh, it's, I think it's my responsibility as a pastor. And I want to do that well, not just on Sunday, but then in all the conversations mm. uh, after that with, with people as they wrestle through this or that in their lives. So uh, mm. I just, it's, it's a responsibility I have to shepherd people well. And sometimes I don't, I don't feel like I've done that responsibility as well. I, I carried out that responsibility as well as I should before the Lord. And on behalf of these people, God's entrusted me to lead. So anyway, that was... Uh, that's a little bit of background behind why, even specifically, I was addressing some things uh, recently. Well, thank you. Just on behalf of believers and as someone who's doing, uh, you know, next to you kingdom work, I'm just like, thank you. And and I just pray that any pastor who's listening will be exhorted. Um, and again, guys, on the podcast episode page, I'll link directly to that uh, sermon that David gave just in case you want to see it. And um, I don't know, take, take note because I was super grateful for your just you're letting the gospel humble you first because it's a scary conversation and then to really exhort people. But let's take a little left turn. <laughs> we're going to do a little, okay, a hard left. Uh, and we're going to do the question of the week from last week. And David, I don't know. I actually, I think you grew up in the church. I don't, did you grow up doing youth group? I did. Yeah. By God's grace, grew up in in the church here in the gospel since I was young. So yes, I did. So I'm guessing you endured or loved some (laughs) youth group games, because that's our question of the week from last week was, what was the most memorable youth group game you ever witnessed or endured? And so we asked our audience, if you guys want to respond to that, you can find us on our podcast episode page uh, or find me on Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Uh, But David, what was your most memorable Oh my. Uh, so, you know, so the, the one that comes to my mind is actually like, not like on the goofy, whatever variety, but yeah. was one that was like really impactful in my life. So that I'll, I'll and it, it was kind of a game. So we, we did something, uh, my youth minister did something, uh, called secret saints. And it was his attempt to help us understand like persecuted church, uh, in the world. And so we would get together on like a Friday night, uh, at the church. And then we'd get in the teams and we would go on basically like a scavenger hunt throughout the city, um, where we would go to different and we'd have to kind of decode things and, uh, go to like this, um, restaurant where there would be a person sitting like behind a newspaper and we'd have <laughs> to go up to them and give a code word. And then they'd give us a code word back uh-huh. and we would go to a gas station, kind of get the same. And so we had, we, and the whole goal was to get to this secret location in the middle of the woods where we would be gathering for worship. No. And uh, so, and then, so we went to all these different places and then we had to like go through the woods and there was all these kind of obstacles in the woods, like keeping us from trying to get there. And then finally we get there and uh, there's like a bonfire. Hmm. And, uh, and then we kind of talk about how this is not a game for uh, 
a lot of our brothers and sisters around the world. So, Mm. I mean, God used that to open my eyes to uh, the persecuted church in a way that has had a massive effect on even what I do today and some of the things we do through Radical called Secret Church and other things. So anyway, and work I've done with persecuted church around the world. So that's probably not what you were looking for, like, because I can think of all the other, like, ridiculous games we played. But that was kind that's the first thing that comes to my mind that was, like, so redemptive in my life. Okay, so, that's awesome. Yeah. So here's looking at you, youth pastors. Is your games matter? Because here's David Platt, who's done a ton of work in this field, and your game matters. Well, taking another left from even that, I can't can't stop, won't stop. Uh, but here is here was a response um, that I appreciated. My name is Tori, and I currently live in Madison, Wisconsin. My answer to this question is a game called Aliens. It was basically hide-and-go-seek tag in the dark throughout the whole church on Sunday nights after our evening service. Some people would be given green glow sticks and be running around trying to catch the other people trying not to trip and fall down the stairs. I still have a scar from one time when a guy ran into me and I went flying slash skidding across the carpet. (laughs) Eventually, they also instated a rule that guys and girls couldn't run off together alone because, well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So not exactly the persecuted church. We're playing aliens in that one. (laughs) I mean, it's good. It's fun to have fun. I have as someone who can be very serious, me, myself, I just what I liked about this is not, you know, I feel like there's so many gross youth group games like blend up a McDonald's meal and drink it through a sock or something. (laughs) But uh, this I was like, oh, that just sounds whimsical and fun. Um, But in high school, when I was in youth group, I didn't. I honestly I avoided youth group because I didn't like the games so i really like hearing some of these redemptive and fun ones that people actually uh enjoyed so i chose it because it made it put a smile on my face and uh just made me be like okay uh there is purpose and there is life and there is fun in these sweet games and again david's really does make us actually think and change our lives but steve how about you life changer or jokes uh well i appreciated uh, this response. Hey, this is Sarah from Grand Rapids, Michigan. We had this game called Robot Box Wars. Essentially, you and your team create this suit of armor out of cardboard boxes. And once you got that down, you duct tape balloons to your head and arms and sporks where your hands would normally go. The goal was to pop all three of your opponent's balloons before they popped yours. Looking back, it probably wasn't the most kid-friendly, but it was definitely eco-friendly. Eco-friendly. There you go. Why'd you pick that, Steve? I don't know. I like the incorporation of sporks. That's what I like. I mean, I think maybe it was some. There was some team building going on there as those kids, you know, put their box armor together. I don't know. I I mean, what I remember, and this is a long time ago for me, so the memory's a bit fuzzy, but. you know, like trust falls, you know, like those kinds of activities or exercises. I don't know if you'd call them games, but, you know, that were about kind of like building unity and mm. um, that kind of thing and yeah. teaching on trust. Also, uh, we did a lot of Capture the Flag, which I love that. was a lot of fun. So those oh, are ones man. that come to my mind. Well, thanks, guys, for your responses. We really appreciate it. Um, now, David... In this podcast, we ask every single guest this set of questions, uh, and it always blows our minds at how unique and yet simple and deep it is. 
But the questions are this. If the gospel is, I am more loved than I imagine and yet more sinful than I believe, when was that gospel first good news for you and how is it still? What a great question. I I think by God's grace, as, as best as I can tell, that was instilled in me pretty early. Like I, I by God's grace, just grew up in a home where um, mom and dad taught me the gospel. And so I, I think I can say that reality uh, has been uh, in my life since as long as I can remember. And uh, mm. so uh, I, th- I think, uh, yeah, from an early age, I was trusting in Christ as best as I knew at, at that time. Uh, and so obviously there's been all, all kinds of deepening and growing in that since then, uh, all the way to this morning, like mm. in Numbers 21 in my time with the Lord this morning and looking at uh, uh, just the sinfulness of the Israelites complaining against God and their need for redemption and by looking to Jesus. And, and that's the beauty. Like they, they didn't have to do anything to be healed from, they were being bit by uh, snakes and dying, but they didn't have to do anything but look mm. up and they would live. And I was just reminded this morning, like, there's nothing I can do. Like, yeah, there's there's no righteousness. There's no works. There's no things. As I was journaling this morning, that I can do. I just I look to you, Jesus, and I find life, yes. and uh, and and in your love for me. Uh, it's uh, the whole picture of walk this Advent guide. Uh, John three said, yeah, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so I'll be lifted up. Jesus said, mm-hmm. and I'll draw you to myself. So anyway, uh, from as early as I can remember to a few hours ago, uh, this, this is a truth that, Oh, by God's grace. Like I think about that. I, I obviously had nothing to do with where I was born. Uh, that's, this is just a picture of God's grace in my life. So anyway, that's what comes to my mind. It's so good and encouraging to me, a mom of young kids uh, who I feel like you hear so many testimonies of like people, especially ministry parents or believer parents and the kids like, I don't know, you can, it can kind of feel like they have to fall off the rails at some point and they ha- then, you know, ha- and then you just have to anxiously pray for them to come back. So hearing your story is actually really encouraging to me just as we surrender our kids and walk with them and teach them. It doesn't have to be that way. So thanks for that. So you wrote a book recently called Something Needs to Change, and you say in there that because we now know the truth of what you write, we can't unknow. We have to do something about the stories you share. And that really stuck with me. Like, I keep thinking about it because now that I read it, I know I have to do something. So for listeners who haven't read your book, what? What can you tell them now about the premise of your book so that they too can begin to know and they too can make something mm-hmm. change? What's what's your book mm-hmm. about? You know, you, you say that you, you might, people might think, uh, okay, I don't want to read the book, uh, <laughs> but that's that's the so the the point of this book. It's different than anything else I've written when it comes to uh, really how and why I wrote this book. So the way the book is framed, it's it's framed as an eight day journey through, uh, where I just, uh, you know, walk through, uh, and try to take the reader on a journey through, uh, some trails up in the Himalayas and, uh, just trekking through villages where amidst all the places I've traveled in the world, uh, these villages represent just what I would describe as just a collision of urgent spiritual and physical need. 
So urgent physical need, they did some research in these villages and they found that half of the kids were dying before their eighth birthday. Um, like I, one of my biggest fears is something happened to one of my kids. I can't imagine that being an expectation for half of them and they're, and they're dying of preventable diseases, uh, just, just extreme poverty, uh, and uh, whether there's lack of clean water or just lack of simple medication, a, a kid gets a cut that you or I could uh, just go get some ointment from the pharmacy and, and put on real quick and everything's fine. Mm. Uh, but that, with, without that, that, that can cause infection that takes over and, and they die. And so, and, and then to see the way like traffickers prey on the poverty in these villages uh just doesn't take much for a trafficker to come through and see a family struggling see a 10 12 year old girl say to her parents uh hey we we see you're struggling we can take your daughter down into the city where we can get her a good education get her a good job where she can send money back up to support your family she can come back up and visit uh we'll take care of her uh, she won't have to worry about clean water, food, um, and so parents will send their their girls down, and uh, yeah, they don't they don't get a good job. They are they're put into brothels where they are broken and uh, abused in all kinds of ways, uh, and that becomes their life. And uh, so to see just urgent physical need, uh, like I was there just a couple months ago, and we were in art therapy. Uh, deal with with girls who've been rescued out of trafficking uh, and the, some of the work that's going on there. And there was an eight year old girl in that class. Like it was just, it's so overwhelming. Just the <sighs> physical need on top of spiritual needs. So the gospel that I've heard ever since I was born, like they've never heard. Most of the people in those mountains have never even heard the name of Jesus. Uh, like this is the birthplace of uh, Buddhism and Hinduism. Like. You go up to people on the on these trails and say, "What do you know about Jesus?" And they say, "Who's that?" Like you're talking about somebody in a village that they've never met. Like they have no idea who he is, what he has done. And so, anyway, whenever I come out of those mountains, I think I I just want to uh, I want to take as many people as I can into those mountains to see uh, this need and to say, right, "What can we do to be a part of making God's grace known?" in a world of urgent spiritual and physical need, not just in those mountains, but in so many different ways. Obviously, it's not physically possible to, to mm -hmm. take multitudes of people into those mountains. And so this book is my attempt to bring those mountains to us, to kind of take people on a trek where I open up my journals and just my own wrestling. Like, God, where is where are you in the middle of suffering like this? Like, why are some people born into such earthly suffering only to move on to eternal suffering without ever even hearing about your grace through Jesus, like just to wrestle through those questions mm -hmm. and not to come out with like neat, tidy answers, but to, to open the word, look at uh, the needs around us in the world and really wrestle through these things in a way that, so to come back to what you were saying, in a way that I, I hope uh, provokes change in mm -hmm. our hearts, the way we think and the way we live, the way we use our resources, the way we use our time, the way we use the gifts God has given. So my, my goal is not just to, uh, in the book, talk about all these needs and just kind of leave us just with this heaviness, but with a, with the hope that's there in the gospel and the unique opportunities we have to make us hope known in the world around us. If 
if we will open our eyes and see the need and then have the courage to respond. Mm. Well, and yes, and amen. And to your point, you know, at the start of that, like if people are thinking, oh, I don't want to read it if this is just heavy. What makes it so palatable and made me read it in a matter of hours was, David, you didn't write from a perspective of Pastor Platt with his ethereal you know, way up there platform. And he's probably just getting all these good old fashioned lessons from this pain. And like, you really wrestled like with encountering the ugly, like, like we would, you know, like I would like, God, why was I born where I was? Why I could have been born here. Like, that's a question I've thought of since putting your book down. So what is one thing, I guess, if something needs to change, and I want to lean into that more, but in your life, what was something that changed, even in your internal wrestling with these hard questions that is has stuck with you today? Uh, what, all right, how do I sum that up? Uh, I would say uh, the, the biggest, two, two things. One, like I found myself after my first trip, so the the book is like a compilation of different uh, trips on these trails. But uh, after my first trip there, there just came a point where we had walked through and just we'd spent days seeing uh, suffering and urgent need along these two lines. And there just came a point where it all came to a, a head when we got back to the city and I walked through a part of the city where these girls who've been taken from these mountains are now uh, – yeah, enslaved, and mm-hmm. we just. I, I, as soon as we got back to the place where I was staying, I just fell on my face and just started weeping, like uncontrollably, weeping. Uh, like, like I haven't since I think about when my dad died years ago, and that's mm-hmm. the only thing I can compare it to. And but that was kind of the problem. Like, why is it so uncommon for me to weep for those in need? Like Jesus, Jesus wept. He. His heart was moved. I mean, this is, uh, and so, and and not just me, like in the, the church I pastor or just in gatherings of believers I've been around, like why is it not more common for us to weep on behalf of people in need far from us and right around us? Like, yeah. so I would say first just to, uh, and that's just one of the big effects was just to see God soften my heart in a way that, that needed to happen. Like I wrote a sermon on the way on the plane over there on that first trip, <laughs> there, uh, talking about poverty and even talking about trafficking stuff. And I wrote it like from this frighteningly cold hearted perspective. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was just missing the point. Like it's so apparently it's possible to like know a bunch of facts and even know the Bible and what the Bible says and totally be unaffected like I should be by these things. So, so that was one and that, but obviously that's not the goal just to, okay, you, so you, you cried, like you felt bad like that. <laughs> so then to let those, I mean, that, one of the things I love that one of the guys who I uh, talk about a lot in the book that I've worked with over there, uh, talks about how he experienced something similar his first time in those mountains. He was actually just going and trekking, uh, with some friends just on a, uh, just wanted to go trekking like a lot of people do. And the first stop he came to on these trails, there were some guys coming down the mountain with a bunch of girls and they told him what they were doing. And it, uh, I mean, almost like bragging about what they were doing and it broke him. 
he he said he wept all night and then turned right around that mountain. And the way he puts it is he says, I turned, I decided I was going to turn those tears into tactics. And he spent the last 20 years of his life uh, affecting change in those mountains. And so, uh, so the, the overflow then of just being moved emotionally in ways that are needed and continually needed in my life. Like I want to live with that kind of compassion, not just here or there, but with that kind of compassion and then let that turn into tactics. So for me, uh, what that's led to is, and you mentioned it, uh, uh, and, uh, just kind of introduced me talking about radical, like we have done a major shift with, uh, what was, has basically been a resource ministry to move into like, how can we mobilize more and more resources to go to the front lines of urgent spiritual and physical need? And uh, we've created something called the Radical Fund. We've uh, just trying to help uh, other churches and church leaders like have eyes opened and then say, what are the unique ways we can do uh, to mobilize? And then for myself, even to be a part of it, I and I share about this in the book, started wrestling through, okay, do I need to move into those mountains? Yeah. I came home and told my wife, like, uh, yeah, I think the Lord may be leading us to do this. We need to pray through this. And the Lord ended up not uh, leading in that way. I'm still uh, hopeful that one day there's a one day ticket that that we're going to take. But, but, you know, yeah, and yeah. it would take too long to help tell the whole story. But the way God's even ended up leading me through leading an international mission organization since that first trip, and then to, uh, to DC here to pastor this church among the nations to leverage what we're doing to take the gospel to the nations. So all that to say, that's kind of the way that's played out in my life. But the beauty is, and what I try to highlight is God's not calling everybody to necessarily move there or lead an international mission organization or pastor church, but he is calling all of us to do something Mm -hmm. and to, to take the unique grace and gifts and opportunities that God has given each of us to play a part. Like that's the beauty of his creativity. And I talk about this. I talk about how different teachers who are affecting uh, those mountains with the gospel, different nurses who are doing that. I talked about a guy who's an aquaponics expert, which is like, I don't know. I didn't know what aquaponics is. It's like <laughs> trout waste, trout poop, using it to create vegetation. Like it, I still don't really understand how it all works, but this guy does. And he's using this unique gift of grace that God's given him to be a part of affecting change in those mountains. So, and again, not just in those mountains, but when we start to look at each of our lives, the gifts, the education that we have, the uh, jobs we have, the opportunities we have, and how to leverage this for God's glory and the spread of God's grace and hope in a world of urgent need, like there's so many ways that plays out. So I guess to come back to, sorry, this is a really long answer to your question, but, uh, to to uh, to to be affected and not not I just think it's it's dangerous dangerously easy to uh, to be distant from urgent need right around us yep. and all around the world just to kind of cocoon ourselves in a in a bubble and kind of go on with Christianity uh, without opening our hearts like to where we are on our faces weeping for those in need and then to turn those to use my friend's language turn those tears into tactics and say okay so what does this need to look like in my life Mm. now david i sense a similar i don't know chutzpah like like drive inside of you that i have inside of me that can in me can shift to bitterness or anger when I look at the world and I'm like, why aren't you doing something? Why is no one, it feels like nobody's making disciples. Like, why aren't you? So 
So how, how do you navigate that in your heart? So you go to these places, you're like, literally, here is a book. You don't even have to go. And all I'm asking you is, is to take a step. How, how do you navigate in your own heart as you're exhorting people to not go to a bitter place, but to a place of, of exhortation? Mm, that's a great question. Because I would say, uh, like one of my biggest struggles as a pastor is uh, balancing the urgency of the mission with patience in shepherding people on yeah. mission and uh, just this urgency and the patience. But that's where uh, I realize that whenever I am impatient, it's really a picture of pride in my life because mm. God has been so patient with me. Like I didn't, uh, I didn't see these things. Uh, I mean, I, even as I was just sharing, like I was a pastor writing from a frightening frighteningly cold-hearted perspective about poverty and preaching God's truth about like that. That was, that was me. Yeah. And that's something I'm still prone to do. And so, and God has been so patient with me. And so, so as a pastor, then God has given me a responsibility, but not just as a pastor, just as a follower of Jesus to, uh, this is what disciple making is about. It's not about, uh, like people are around us, like immediately, getting God's heart and obeying God's commands. Just, I mean, this is a battle. It's a struggle. Mm -hmm. There are so many different, uh, yeah, things in, in our own lives as well as in others' lives that, that the adversary uses to keep us from being focused on what's most important on God's word, on making God's grace and love known in the world. And so just to realize, okay, this is a battle. So, but I want to engage in the battle with love, with grace, with compassion, with humility, knowing I don't have it all figured out by any means. And that's part of the, reason why I wanted to write this book the mm -hmm. way I did, because I want to be honest, like, yeah, okay, I've got degrees from seminary or this or that, but I don't have it all figured out. There's some things I don't, I don't understand, but I, I want to, I want to live based on what I do know. And I want to encourage others to let's live based on what we do know and, and let's run into it. And the other thing is like, let's run into the the joy of following Jesus and making his hope known mm. in uh, the world around us. Like we are, I was, I was preaching somewhere uh, this week and uh, at a conference and just saying like, do we realize the opportunities we have to join with God yes. in what he's doing? And so just, and, and not that it's going to be easy all the time, but I just think about Hebrews 12, like for the joy set yep. before us, like, we have the opportunity to partner with God in making the greatest news known in the world. Like, mm. let's let's run into that and realize not everybody's going to jump up and run. Like, I can't like pick people up and throw them overseas or this or, or <laughs> not that it has to be overseas into this or that area of need. But I can I can love people enough to kind of walk with them uh, to help them help see things that God by His grace is helping me see in His Word and the world, and then to help people process through what that looks like, even as I'm in our lives and their lives, even as I'm processing through what that looks like in, in my life. Mm. It's so good. And I think I could really see and hear that fruit of God's work in your life. Cause again, I sensed that like push what you were doing your sermon on like, Hey guys, this is God's design. This is how we can do it. But I was like, this brother had people praying for him while he was doing that sermon because it's so tempting to be like, no, this is God's design. Either scream it or be silent. And both are hearts of 
have come from a heart of pride. But I could tell even when you were giving that sermon about God's design for marriage and sexuality that I was like, this comes from a heart that is measured and um, really speaks God's heart. So with that same tone, I'm like, let's let's go from there. And can you share a story? Um, I'm laughing because I'm like, without bitterness, that I would want to take this story and like shove it in people's face in my bitter heart, but in my spirit uh, refined heart. Uh, the story that you share, I think it might have been like a piece of the book that was on Christianity Today. Um, but it was like talking about the lengths people did in those mountains to just go to church. Can you share that experience? That that was it's one of my favorite moments and maybe my favorite moment even that I captured in the book because so we we had a uh, we hiked for at this point it was I can't remember four or five days and uh, and and like I said most everybody on the trails uh, so we were really high up uh, had never even heard of Jesus but finally we got as we were walking kind of down the mountains and descending in elevation where there's more people we got to. A place and this village and we hiked actually up this really steep mountain to get up to this village and it was a brutal hike uh and uh once we got up there uh, we kind of got settled in that's where we're going to stay for the night and we found out that there was uh, a little church that was going to be meeting that night in this village and i thought these have got to be the most stout church members in the world like to climb this mountain uh just to gather for church and uh and so that night it's totally dark and, and cold, and I we we look out and uh, coming up the, these, these these trails up these steep mountains are these little lights, and uh, so it's these believers that are coming up to gather, and you could just see them kind of walking up, and when they got up to those mountains, like they, I was just shocked. I mean, this was it was grandmothers, it was moms with babies on their back, it was uh, little kids, and. Uh, and you know, and then men as well. And so we gather together with them in this little room uh, house, uh, which is, I mean, just picture a one room house with a kind of bed in the corner, uh, which is basically just uh, uh, a mat over a wood board. Uh, and then we all cram into this room. I mean, there's hardly any room for anywhere else to sit. They're sitting on top of each other, cram this little room, one little light bulb hanging in the middle. And uh, we, to see these believers as we were worshiping and then walk into the word to see the way and hear their stories, like them encouraging each other, talking about some of the persecution they were facing. I mean, there's, yeah, people are being martyred in these villages when they come to Jesus. People, um, when they come to Jesus, uh, because they're seen as introducing a foreign God into the village, they're told they can't use the water source anymore. If there is a water source, they can't have this or that. And so they're talking about the persecution they're experiencing. They're talking about how to love those who are persecuting them. Uh, they're talking about how they can help care for each other better. And they're they're saying, how can we share the gospel with, with more people in these villages, knowing it's going to be costly for them? Mm-hmm. And I just, I get this picture like, yes, like this is the church. This is, this is the beauty of what God has designed in the church. And it, it didn't have most everything we think about when we think of church. It didn't have a, a nice building. It didn't have programs. It didn't have, uh, yeah, all kinds of child things care. and comforts when we think of a church. Yeah. No childcare. It just <laughs> kids like screaming, sitting in the, in the room. But, but what they had was the Holy spirit of God and the word of God and each other. And, 
and a mission together. And apparently that is the essence of the church. And so, uh, so it's not that all the things we have are necessarily bad, uh, like buildings and programs or childcare or this or that, but it's like, how do we make sure that we don't miss the essence Mm -hmm. and that we, and that we put our emphasis on, uh, the essence of the church instead of all this other stuff mm-hmm. in the church. So, yeah, it's one of the most, yeah, it's, it's the most beautiful picture. And what I, what I said in, in the book was like, yes, the gospel is, is the answer for everybody's greatest need. But what, what is needed most in those villages is of course, yes, the gospel, cause it's at the core, but it's the church. It's, mm-hmm. it's a community of uh, men and women who are gathered together around the gospel. It's transformed their lives. It's transformed their marriages. It's transformed their families, the way they, they treat one another. That is what is needed is, is the church. Uh, the church is the answer. And it's this lighthouse beacon of hope and joy in the middle of urgent spiritual and physical need. Amen. Oh, it's so good for so many reasons. And, and for me, just like the cost, they are willing to endure suffering and and wanting it you know they're not masochists they don't want suffering but they're willing for the sake of the gospel and that exhorted me as someone who can get backlash for what you know i say but i'm like but i ain't dead (laughs) you know i haven't gotten martyred yet and so i love those stories that you share and others share david i guess just to to land the plane here just with a last sort of exhortation what is the something or some things that really needs to change in the church in order for us not just to survive, but thrive in these dark days that are getting darker. I think, uh, so if I, if I was to summarize it and, you know, at the end of the book, I kind of walk through just trying to help guide people through thinking through specifically in their lives, uh, what might change. And, And that's even that phrase, like that's when, when I, came out of that that first trip in these trails and I'm sitting there with a buddy of mine that was on that trip with me. We're in the airport about to leave and he's like, David, what is your takeaway? And that's that's the first thing I said. I just like, I don't know exactly, but something needs to change. And so I think the way I would summarize what that thing is, is well, it's kind of multifaceted. One, it's uh, our hearts really open to be affected by the needs around us in the world. Like, I'll be the first to admit I'd rather like run out of those mountains, put my head in the sand and pretend I'd not seen those things. Like I, I, I don't want to think about those things. I I have a a daughter who's nine. Like, I don't want to picture like these kind of things happening. And, uh, Mm -hmm. so, uh, so a party would like to pretend they're not, they're not there. And then there's not urgent need right around us where we live, but there, there is. And so we've got to start by so what needs to change. We've got to open our eyes and be willing, uh, daring in a sense enough to, to open our eyes and let our hearts be affected to open the Bible and, uh, and, and ask the question, like, do we really believe what this book says? Mm-hmm. Because, uh, that's, I mean, one of the things I wrestle with in the book is just okay, hell, like eternal suffering. And there's some, pictures uh that i that i paint stories to tell in the book that that really bring that to bear and then and my and just i'm honest with my own wrestling like okay do i do i really believe this and uh and i and i realized i've got two options either i can uh say the bible's not true or i can say hey i don't understand everything uh but 
the Bible is true and I'm going to live based on it, which, which just creates an urgency. Uh, and that's just one example. So like to ask, do we really believe what we're, what we're for me, what I'm preached or for us, what we read, uh, in the word, like, so to open our hearts, open the word, and then just to say, to say, okay, then based on, uh, what I see in the world, based on what I, uh, see in God's word, that kind of collision, then, Here's my life, God. What are the unique ways I can be a part of making your word known in this world, making your grace, your hope, your love known in this world in the short time I have? And uh, so that's where the way I summarize it kind of in the end is like urgent, humble action that I think will flow from our hearts that are open, open uh, word, believing what God's word says. Then that will lead us in all kinds of different ways to urgent, humble action not just talking about like action and joining with god and what he's doing in a world of urgent need to show his grace for his glory amen man david thank you so much for opening up your heart your story and just exhorting us with that um humble courage that you embody Mm. well thanks like i and i'll be the first to say like i've got so much to learn and and there's so much more i want to do but that's the thing like i know i've got a little bit of time left like james four like my life's a mist your life's a mist our lives everybody's listening like we're a mist we're here for a second god the next so how can we make these lives count maximally with the grace we've been given amen and amen And guys, we're going to link up all of David's stuff, just the things that I've mentioned, some of that sermon I mentioned, as well as his book, Can't Recommend It Enough, um, on the podcast episode page. All right, David, thanks so much for your time. Thank you guys for having me. This is pure joy. Yeah, I just really appreciate appreciate your heart and the way yeah you approach this whole thing. So thank you. You are so welcome. And guys, hey, we really want to connect you to this book that was really just made a huge impact on my heart. I've already shared it with many people. So go and find it. Uh, We'll also link you up to that sermon that we talked about, um, just that David gave just about how to engage this whole LGBT conversation in marriage. And hey, guys, I don't know if you noticed, but we have this new website. And we also have a new book, a study that uh, I technically wrote, but Matt is definitely a part of it because everything in it, I just talk to him about, but it's called Journey Well. It's a Journey Well study, and you can find it at lauricreek.com slash journeywell. And it's a discipleship book. It's for people who are primarily people who are wrestling with their sexuality similar to me, but they can do it alongside anyone else who also has broken sexuality, which is everybody. So this is a discipleship walk alongside each other book. The goal of it is not orientation change. The goal of it is a deeper heart connection with the father in this conversation in particular. So uh, there's a deal going on. You can get the book and the videos on our site for $19.99 plus shipping. Sorry, I'm not Amazon. Uh, You can find it on Amazon though too. Uh, But use the offer code podcast. I almost spelled it, but you guys can figure that out. Our question of the week for next week is, what is your spiritual gift? What's the gift or gifts, not gifts or gifts <laughs> that you believe God gave you to impact the kingdom? I don't think God gave us gifts to impact the kingdom, but maybe he did. I don't know. They're funny. Okay, but what is it? We want to hear it. Find us on the socials. Email us at podcast at I said it weird because it's different. 
podcast at lauricreek.com. But guys, thanks so much for being a part of this. David Platt, so thank you so, so much for your book, for your life, for using the gifts God gave you, the gifts with a T God gave you to make an impact on the kingdom. And for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you next week. <laughs>